Hello, fellow teachers. Welcome to the EduWell Podcast, a show created for teachers, by teachers, with teachers. I'm Alex Bush. And I'm Chelsea Henderson. With over 30 years of combined teaching experience, we're here to help you find balance in your professional and personal lives. Join us as we dive into a well of information, exploring insights, strategies, and practical tips that you can apply both within and beyond your classroom walls. So whether you're new to teaching or a seasoned expert, this podcast is for you. Let's be well and do well together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to EduWell. In this episode, we are discussing effective teacher-parent communication. Before we begin, we do want to remind you that every episode of EduWell is created with your well-being in mind. Communication with home is a big part of our work, and we want to make sure that we're doing it effectively, but also that we're not overdoing it. Today, we'll talk about choosing your methods of communication wisely, setting reasonable goals with those methods, and empowering student-home connection. Let's dive into the well, Alex. Let's dive into the well, but let's dive into the well very, very wisely. Right now, we are going to start talking about choosing our methods of communication wisely. And as I'm introducing this topic, I need to honor the fact that if you were a teacher in the 90s, the 80s, uh, the 2000s early, your methods of communication included making a phone call, writing into an agenda or writing a note home, And then getting to meet the parent face-to-face on either meet the parent teacher night or uh, on interview night. Those were the main methods of communication. One, two, three. That was super easy. Oh, things are different now. I think I miss those times. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Let's run through some of the options just off the top of your head, Chelsea, that you can think of ways that have been introduced into the education world. And we're not at this moment kind of sharing what we do, but ways that you can communicate options. What are they? Options. We have classroom apps. Those are those messaging apps with photos and videos and point systems. And there's even email in there. It's kind of an everything in one method. Includes pop-ups and a whole bunch of other stuff. There's newsletters. You can do paper ones or digital ones, and they can have, you know, many embedded little perks that people can click into. There's Google Classroom or whatever online platform that you might be using. And parents can get these summaries of all the work that's been posted into it and all the announcements that are happening both in the classroom and within the school. Uh, Caregivers, guardians, parents, whomever it is that is receiving the information can also often see the work that the students are producing. Texting. There's also texting. There's texting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's the good old phone. I'm going to say that one strongly and with confidence. The good old phone. The good old phone. That's a classic. I like that one. Some people even go deep into the, you know, uh, world of website creation. There are so many different ways that teachers are, are communicating with parents. I think sometimes it's just too much. How do we choose which way to communicate wisely? Because you might use many of these in a year, but what do you want to put your focus on? I think for me, when I talk about communication, um, I'm going more into the the most important messages, which to me are the ones that are specific between parent and uh, teacher, guardian and teacher. And when we're listing all of those, there's a few that kind of get me a little bit uh, worried about my time being taken up without any sort of restriction. It can also, from a parent's point of view, be too much. If there are multiple teachers using that platform and they're getting multiple notifications and summaries from different 
teachers, that can also be very overwhelming from a parental point of view. Very overwhelming. I mean, if you're if you're doing the classroom app in your own classroom and you have the point system and you have the photos and you have the calendar and it's all posted on there and you're also contributing to the school's social media accounts, when does it all become too much for the teacher and for the parent, right? Because we're looking in so many different places to find information. And that can be very confusing. Yeah. And because this is all so new, I think people have a tendency to jump onto everything all at once and get super excited about it. But we don't always look at how it's being received, um, how it's being processed on the other end. I think really putting a lot of time and effort into picking and choosing one or two really great methods of communication that work for you that don't dominate your time, but also put consideration into the time of the family uh, and the parents and the guardians is a good first question to maybe ask yourself. Right. And that's going to be grade dependent. Absolutely grade dependent. You know know what I'm just thinking about right now about uh, communication with parents? I'm thinking about phone calls that I've made as a primary teacher versus phone calls that I've made as a junior or intermediate teacher. Mm, Very different. When you're calling the parent or the guardian of a grade two student or a kindergarten student, let's say, that is one of the first times a parent is hearing information about a child if it's something that is something that the student needs to work on, right? And you're giving this feedback. I think that can be very hard sometimes, sometimes for parents to hear. I speak both as a parent and as a teacher. So those phone calls, shout out to the primary teachers, are, I think, really hard to make when the students are really young. As time goes on, many teachers have likely made a similar phone call about a student and perhaps the way that they show up in class, right? I think that those phone calls can be much easier to make as the student gets older because it's not new information. Right. Yes, I'm aware that my student likes to get up and, and walk around the class in circles once in a while to, to um, maybe they're doing it to relieve stress, but it's not new to the parent, right? Yes. So I think that it's easier as students get older to make those types of phone calls. Yeah, it can be for sure. So when choosing a form of communication, I keep in mind what kind of communication the school is using as a whole. If there's a calendar of events on the school website, I can link that to my platform. If the school has Instagram, do I need to have my own classroom app? Not, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think what you're saying is key. You're saying the school takes responsibility for uh, like an you know, an overarching communication and you as a classroom teacher contribute to that. I'm not a media expert and I am happy to provide content from time to time. Um, but my main role in the classroom is, is teaching and focusing on the students. When I get kind of wrapped up in the, you know, capturing of every moment, it deters from the moment. It is an extra. <laughs> it is absolutely an extra. That we just need to be cautious of. Yes, we'll, we'll put the information out there, but how much information do we put out there? So now that we've posed a lot of questions with regards to boundaries, let's talk about setting reasonable and attainable goals with these forms of communication. That sounds like a good idea. I mean, I've had years where I've planned to improve parent communication and I was going to try all kinds of things, creating a website, calling each student's parents regularly for check-ins. And then the year starts and I quickly realized that my goals are highly unreasonable and there's just no way I could find the time to get all of these methods in. 
Yeah, I mean, I often have a really big goal at the beginning of the year. That's because we're in the anticipation phase and you really want to make it happen and then reality sets in. So I would say manage expectations on that one. You know, you might you might say, you know what, halfway through the year, you do one newsletter, 100th day of school update or end of year update if you want. If you don't want to let go of all of it, um, you can choose kind of one thing to do. But Time consumption. Oh, man, that takes a lot of time for sure. As much as we want to communicate with parents and guardians about what is happening in our classroom communities, we have to make sure that we're not overdoing it and that there isn't any information overload on both sides. That's another consideration to be had. You know, I think I would caution new teachers here who may be eager to share those amazing lessons and activities that are happening in the classroom. Yes, share and use whatever method suits you, but think about when you're posting your information online. I mean, if you're posting late in the evening, who is this information going to? And do you want someone messaging you back if they see that you are actively online at that point? That's exactly it. The second you send out a message outside of your work hours, you are opening it up to say, yeah, by all means, anytime, send me a message. Right. So if you want to set those boundaries, I would say make your preferred forms of communication known at the beginning of the year. Well, that, that goes back to the us talking about disconnecting and how that's yeah. a big push in the workplace to make sure that everyone is honoring the parameters of the school day, of the work day, whatever workplace you might be working in. Yes. So at the beginning of the year, you can say, if you'd like to contact me, please call me at the school or introduce your app and let them know that you'd like communication to take place only there. You don't want to be checking email text, apps, sending letters, posting on your platform. I mean, I'm overwhelmed at just saying this, is if you choose communication through the email or the text, set up that automatic reply during the hours that you are not at work that says, I am away from my device or my desk, and I will do my best to respond when I am back. As you're listing all of these, it is creating um, a real sense of like unease in me right now. And I'll tell you why. Let's say I'm working off of four platforms. All right? Yeah. There are parents that follow one but not another. The one that they're not following is the one that I do not remember to post the information on. Then I have a parent who's missed out on really important information. This just feels like work for the sake of work. So that I go back to the point that I made earlier about kind of just narrowing it down to one or two really good solid methods of communication and having that overarching the school itself be the main communicator for most events in the school and contributing to that. Once you've set boundaries with communication, it's really important to allocate time slots that align with your convenience for communication. So you can do that by blocking and batching. And what this means is block out a time slot to make five or six parent calls at once. And that's doing a batch of calls. That's a great idea. Just make sure that you record all of the information, who you're calling, when you're calling them, and what you said in the conversation. Also note anything important that the parents let you know about the student. Yeah, you just you need to know that for, so you don't forget what you said in the conversation, for me anyway. Oh yeah, in the exact same way. Another tip is that you could make phone calls before parent conferences. Yeah, I think that is so important. When I look at my classroom community, I pick and choose the students who I know would benefit from me having early contact. It's important for students to know that the adult who is caring for them is in contact with the classroom teacher. 
Um, I'm also going to add to that, that those phone calls should not always be about things that the student needs to do, needs to change, needs to work on. Those phone calls should also have really positive content about the strengths of the students. Starting with that builds relationship. If the parent thinks you only see things that need to change about the child, that is not going to go well for you. It's not going to go well for the student. It's not going to go well for the parent. So make sure you're making those very positive phone calls to build the rapport and let the parent know that you see the whole student, not just those little things that might need to be worked on. All right, let's talk about setting time limits on conversations. How do we do this? This Time's up. Oh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You should definitely do that to a parent. Yeah, that's a great idea. (laughs) So this goes along with making your limits known. And you can do it at the beginning of a conversation. And I'm mostly talking about phone calls or conferences. This has always been a tough one for me. How do you not stay on the phone for 30 minutes? Okay, this one is really tough. And I think it comes down to knowing a few things. You're talking about... You're talking to a parent and the child is the most precious human in their life, right? And you care about that child too. There are phone calls, Chelsea, that can be done in two minutes and yet they go on and on. But you can identify those phone calls that are a um, so-and-so left their backpack at school today and would you like me to? I don't know. Those can be fast, but you, you always have so much that you need to get to. In no way are we suggesting that when there's something like that's a 10 where the parent really needs to tell you a whole bunch of information that you cut that conversation off quickly. You might not have the time in that moment and you might need to phone back and finish that conversation. I think it's around establishing what is worthy of a five-minute conversation, a 10-minute conversation, and maybe a meeting in the school. It's also looking at who else in the school community can help you to figure out the things that are being brought forward. There's things that the classroom teacher manages, but there's other people in the school community who can help you when there's big concerns with students. You might have a guidance counselor. You might have a social worker. You might have a special education teacher. You have a principal. You have a vice principal. You have clubs in the school. You might have an Indigenous counselor. You might have a whole bunch of different options of other people who can help to support you with the types of things that parents are bringing forward in these conversations. Yeah, I mean, there's really no easy answer here because you are going to find yourself in different conversations and longer conversations and shorter conversations depending on the situation that's being presented to you. But a strategy would be to thank the person for the information and to let them know that you will be working on strategies or solutions that could be helpful. And this will give you a chance to seek that help that you need and then you can get back to the person when you're feeling a little bit more prepared. I find that's always helpful for me. And it's good for you too to take some time to figure out how you want to proceed in the communication going forward. Okay, I'm going to move us forward now by taking some of the communication onus off of us and putting it onto the students. Absolutely. Student voice is key. If you can capitalize on the fact that you have 30 humans in front of you every day listening to all those messages, the way that you wrap their lives around the curriculum and to have them go back to their home and share those stories and ask a bunch of questions and talk about current events and engage their parents or guardians or family members, it's the best way to show everyone at home what is happening in your classroom community. For me, this was a game changer. Let me tell you, 
I used to challenge students at the end of the day and say, remember, we used to talk about this, these three things. Your challenge tonight is to go home to talk to your family and friends, guardians, or look this up and find more information and come back tomorrow. And when we have this conversation again as a class, I want you to share some of the things that you learned or an aha moment that you had, or I'd even be like, talk to your grandparents, ask them about the Cold War and what that felt like and that experience. And the students come back with these amazing stories and they share it with the classroom community and everyone gets engaged. And that, to me, is the best way that I have ever engaged families and communities in my classroom community. So true. And it can be so easy to forget the importance of the face-to-face contact in this digital age that we're living in. So encouraging students to go home and have those face-to-face conversations can really help them improve their communication skills too. So with all that great advice, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you need to know your audience and not everyone communicates in the same way. And there are communication barriers that can happen. Not everyone reads, not everyone hears. Not everyone is available. So you also have to make sure that you do everything that you can to make it accessible to all parents with regard to communicating about the humans in their life. Great point. And with that said, let's review our takeaways. One, choose one or two preferred forms of communication to make them purposeful and effective. Number two, set clear goals and timelines for your communication strategies. And remember, sometimes less is more. Three, set communication times that align with your schedule and respect those moments when you're off duty. And four, empower student home connections by implementing activities or even assignments or just conversations in your classroom to enhance student accountability. I love that one. Well, our time is up now. Thank you so much for listening to Eduel. We hope you find some of the tips from this episode useful. And I will say that it takes confidence to communicate with parents. And it also takes confidence to get up in front of a room full of people every day and do what we do. So how do we get that confidence? If you want to find out, be sure to tune into our next episode where we talk about how to build confidence in your teaching. And please, if you take a few seconds to give us a review or share this podcast, it would really help us share information with our fellow teachers out there who are on the same journey of finding balance in their personal and professional lives. Teachers, take care. Until next time, be well and do well.